Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. You know, as human beings that are in community with other people, is that what we do impacts others. That's influence, you know, and so that's 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 a form of leadership. But I think as far as anyone who recognizes that they're trying to do something significant, get people to move from A to B, change people's perspective on things, help people to understand things they don't understand, that the most significant thing that they've got to have is an ability to communicate well. And now here's your hosts. Noah and Bjorn. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the 40th episode of The Sweat Room. My name is Noah Corson, alongside my co-host Bjorn Webb. We're so pumped for today's episode with Brad Gray. If you're not familiar with Brad, Brad is the founder and executive director of Walking the Text. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating engaging content and study trips to Bible lands that help people learn, love, and live out the Bible by understanding its original content. He publishes a new, free teaching every other week at walkingthetext.com. He's traveled extensively to Israel, Turkey, Jordan, Egypt, and Greece, and has been leading study trips to Israel and Turkey since 2010. Brad's a national speaker, published author. One of those being is Make Your Mark, Getting Right What Samson Got Wrong, and former teaching pastor with over 10 years of experience serving in multiple local churches. And he's been instrumental in the creation of Infusion Bible Conference. It's a groundbreaking three-day conference on biblical context. Guys, Brad is the real deal. He has a sports and faith background as well. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation with Brad. And before we dive in, if you're new to our podcast, our motto is get it, got it, give it. We're always in every phase of this, always learning, always teaching, and always applying. And we like to say here at the SWAT room as well, the three G's are so important in life and leadership and so much in our daily walk with Christ. But what we've loved out of this podcast is getting to hear people's stories. You guys are going to hear a little bit of Brad's story as well. And he has so much to bring to the table in terms of life and leadership and in faith. Guys, this is an amazing conversation. You guys are going to be inspired and I highly recommend if you do not have your notes app or pen and paper out already, do it. He is a phenomenal speaker, one of the best communicators I've ever met. And before we dive in today, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get it each and every week. I know for me, if I don't subscribe to my podcast, I'm just not going to see it. It's just it's how it goes, it's the nature of the business. And make sure to check out our social media pages at Watermark Sports on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's a little bit different. It's at Sweat Room Pod. And make sure to check out our blog at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog. So without further ado, guys, I'm so excited for you guys to hear our conversation in week three of our leadership series with Brad Gray. We want to welcome to the sweat room, Brad Gray. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Brad, so I know that a little of your background, you have been around sports your whole life. You have an athletic family. You're an athlete yourself. What are some of your favorite memories from sports? You know, one of my favorite memories from high school is that our basketball team every summer would go up to Northwest Michigan. So I grew up in a small town in Southeast Michigan, and we would go up to the Traverse City area, Sleeping Bear Dunes, and we would spend an entire week, every night we would scrimmage 
another school up there. But then during the day, we would go to the dunes during the day and do training. And we would go and just have a lot of fun activities. And we actually called it sand in your face camp. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's basically, so we would actually, we stayed in a little, um, you know, almost like a, like a condo kind of a thing. And, you know, you had 12 guys, two coaches. So there's, you know, 14 of us. And then we typically brought another person along as well because our coaches participated in everything. And we'd actually start each morning with a three mile, uh, or a two mile, three man weave. And then we would come back and have devotions, do breakfast, and then go off to the dunes for, training the rest of the morning. We'd have lunch somewhere in Michigan, and then we would go and scrimmage someone in the evening. We do that for seven straight days, and it was just such a great summer memory and being able to take advantage of the amazing dunes in Northwest Michigan. Mm, that is yeah. awesome. Wow. That, that sounds so fun. I, I, that, yeah. Just those memories, those are ones that you cherish, just spending that quality time with those people <laughs> around you and just... Yeah. That's and it's the stuff that you just... I mean, that's something that not other teams do, you know, I mean, I could talk about, oh, you know, I've got all these great memories of playing games and, you know, being with my family, which is so true because actually I just have one sibling and he's uh, 19 months younger, my brother, Doug. And the the thing that was so fun for us though, growing up kind of uh, just a cool family memory though, is that we were very close in age, but we were very, very different in stature. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm now, I'm 5'9", 140 pounds. I played college at 155. So, I mean, I've never been big. My brother is 6'4", 255. So, we look <laughs> like nothing like... Oh, I know. My dad's 6'4". I I, I mean, I got (laughs) robbed. I totally got robbed. And I don't complain on airplanes or in caves, but I complain everywhere else about it. But here's the cool thing, though, is because we were so close in age and we were never vying for the same position, Mm. uh, we grew up playing on all of our teams together. We played AAU together. Uh, He made the uh, varsity as a freshman, so we got to play two years of high school basketball together because we were two grades apart. And we actually also got to play one year of college basketball together before he transferred to the rival school in the conference. <laughs> so, oh, man. And then we played against each other. But yeah, those were just some of the fun, you know, fun things that we got to do that were different. But then just, you know, some of the things just connected to our family is just always great memories. I just I love sports. I love what they teach you about life. And one of the really great things that I had growing up is that on the sports teams I was part of you know, the coaches were, were followers of Jesus. And so it was always, what can basketball teach us about life? What can it teach us about being a faithful follower of Jesus? And so we always saw the connections, not only from sports to life, but also from sports to discipleship, which, mm. uh, invaluable. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And, and I love, cause every, every single memory that you just shared that were your, some of your favorites from sports, have to all have to do with relationship, whether it's you and your brother, whether it's with your family, whether it's with, you know, these people building relationships outside of actually playing the sport. It's all about that relationship. And that just, you know, shows me that to you, sports are way more than the sport. Like you mentioned, it's way more than just winning and losing. There's so much more that goes into it. And sport is just, you know, it's just this platform that we can use to learn and to grow and to connect with people and with God in so many different ways. And so on this a little bit, and you mentioned a little bit about your relationship with Christ and some of your coaches and things like that. Could you tell us a little bit about Hot Rock and maybe some of the highlights that have come out of what that is? 
Yeah. So Hot Rock is a one-week camp that we put on every summer back in my hometown. Mm. And it is a basketball ministry camp. And what we set out to do was create something that you're just not going to find somewhere else, not for the sake of novelty, but for the purpose of effectiveness. And it drew, it started because when my brother and I, you know, we're growing up and, and we're playing AAU and, and we're wanting to get better during the summer when we're not playing AAU, we would go to camps. And many of the camps are very kind of run-of-the-mill styles. You've got stations, you've got, you know, college players that are making money, you know, making money during the summer and they're part of it. And so it's almost kind of like you're supposed to be part of it. And it's very, very typical. And there's nothing wrong with typical and there's nothing wrong with, you know, what's commonplace. What we just found is that in many of the places, it just wasn't a varied experience from camp to camp. If you went to one camp, you went to them all. It was just amount of time that you put in. And so we just said, you know, how can we create an experience that kids will wait an entire year to be part of? And not only just for the sake of excitement and for them to have an incredible experience, but to go, we follow Jesus Christ. We believe that who Jesus is and the message that he offers is the greatest news in human history. And if what we are doing is on behalf of Christ, then the quality of the message of who we serve needs to be reflected in the kinds of things that we create. Mm. And so we wanted there to be an excellence to this basketball camp where when kids came and they go, that's the best experience I've ever had. And we're all throughout the week going, Hey, the reason why we're doing this is because Jesus has blessed us and we want to bless you. And this is the nature of the good news of Jesus Christ is that not only did he come and he lived and he died, but he has a message for you in your life. And we want you to experience the goodness of Jesus Christ in an environment of something that you already love, the game of basketball. Mm. And so when we put together the camp, we began with the premise of, all right, let's make sure that every coach who's part of this camp is begging to want to be part of the camp because they want to come here, bring their best, serve these kids and realize that they're not there for, you know, making payment, you know, getting money. It's, is there there in order to give? Um, and then what's more is how do we create this in such a way that the kids will go, I've never had experiences like this before. Hmm. So the way that it worked is, is that, my parents um, moved out into the country when I was three years old. And my dad was very, very early in his physical therapy career. And so my parents had only been married for four years. Um, you know, they had me, then three more years they moved into this house. So they'd only been married for seven years. Uh, very young Christians also in, in the process. And, but just had a really strong passion. And through the gift that God has given to my dad and his hard work and effort mixed with that gift, his physical therapy business just took off. And so there was all of these additional funds that, you know, my parents had never had before and typical of my parents, they didn't start looking at how they could spend it on themselves. They're thinking, how do we bless our community? Mm. So they actually built a full court basketball court in our backyard. Wow. And they did that for two reasons. One, 
we all love the game of basketball in my house. My dad played college basketball. You know, my brother did as well. Um, it's just been part of our, our, our ethos. And so we wanted to have just a fun place to play. But my dad also looked at this and said, I want to create something not only so that we could do hot rock and this vision for this camp, but that this court would be open for anybody in the, the community who wanted a place to play. Mm-hmm. And so people started coming and it was an amazing place where that's where I grew up playing. That was my park was in my backyard and people would come from the community of all walks of life. And they all, you know, they just came because they loved the game of basketball. And so my parents would come out bring out waters and, you know, it was just, it was an amazing thing. And so we were able to run the basketball camp in our first year, there were 17 kids. Cause it was basically, you know, our AAU team and some other friends that, you know, we invited and then my dad's practice continued to grow. The camp continued to grow. And so they built two more additional courts in the backyard. And so there's three full basketball courts uh, with football lights. We had rules that put up that said all the lights had to be turned off at 11 o'clock at night because our neighbors were like, okay, this is, this is getting a little bit out of control here. You know, <laughs> we just love the game. We will love to play. But we've, we've, we've taken the camp and now it's been uh, 30 years since the first camp and we're right now it's invite only the kids pay nothing but they have to be invited it's not the best of the best kids that come it's the kids who need the camp so it's really good players but it's also kids that just love the game of basketball and the only rule that we have is that you have to be trying out for next year's basketball team. So we're not just taking kids who just want a place to go for a weekend, get a bunch of free gear. And, you know, we, we do catering lunch every day. It's from eight to four. And, you know, we provide them a ton of fun gifts that they get. They get t-shirts, sweatshirts, all this kind of stuff. They pay nothing. And that's all part of just the incredible experience that we want to offer them but they have to be at least trying out for the team. And we go to our local coaches. We have a lot of local coaches that are part of this. And we just say, who needs to be here? You know, that's on your team. And so it's a full shindig. We have on average about 40 coaches per day. Wow. And we've got uh, 200 kids are invited. So with all the helpers and everything, we've got 250 people out on a property and we just have a blast for a week and enjoy the game of basketball, enjoy being together and enjoy sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, to all of our campers and coaches. Mm, that's so good. And I, I, we love hearing stories like that and just how like sports can change so much. And yeah. something what we say here is uh, not our motto is get it, got to give it. We're always in every phase of that, but also our, our motto has kind of changed a little bit too, where, everybody has a story. It's just a little bit different platform. And you have a fascinating story of just not even how sports have changed your life, but also to where you are now. I'd love to just for our listeners, just to tell your little journey to walking the text and kind of what is the mission of walking the text? Yeah. So just to give a little context for where this is going in the conversation, walking the text is a nonprofit organization that really is transforming people's lives. And it's not us. I mean, we're giving God something to bless, but God is using this to transform people's lives. Um, And really the mission of walking the text is to help people uh, learn, love, and live out the Bible every day by understanding it in its original context. And that's the key is the original context. And so, you know, we all know that context is everything. And yet, 
the vast majority of people, Christians and, and, and others, have never been taught how to think about the Bible in its original context. Mm-hmm. And so, so many people struggle to understand what the Bible is actually communicating because our typical tendency is to open up the Bible and immediately ask the question after we've read a chapter or several chapters, well, what is this thing saying to me? The problem is, is that's that's not a good place to start. It's a great place to end, but it's not a great place to start because until you can understand why something was written in the first place, it's very easy to misunderstand, you know, what you're reading because you come at it with your 21st century Western, you know, context and lens point, mm-hmm. and you just miss a lot of the things that are in, that are in the scriptures, and so. My trajectory here has been really a fun journey as, you know, this is how God works, is I went to college for, yes, sports, but for business. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I grew up in the household of uh, a a well-renowned physical therapist that has done you know, an amazing amount of, uh, of work and impact in the sports world from strength and conditioning to rehabilitation and, you know, everything in between. And I loved what my dad was doing. And I loved growing up in the house. I loved coming home from school and having, you know, the top professional athlete from name, whatever league being in our living room, because, you know, the other doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong and they'd show up in our house and by the grace of God and just the hard work my dad put forth, he'd figure it out in, you know, 30 minutes, what's wrong with them. And I just love that world. I love going into the clinic and having, you know, watching him interact with his patients. And so I never though wanted to be a physical therapist. I just had a sense from an early age that I didn't want to be in that shadow, but I wanted to join him in what he was doing because it wasn't just a clinical setting. He was working with sports teams. He was working with, you know, all, basically anybody who moves, which is, you know, the vast majority of humanity, <laughs> he's working with them. And I wanted to come along and be another business mind at the table. I grew up as a guinea pig. So I knew a lot about how the body works and how to train and condition and rehab. And so I just wanted to be another business mind at the table that could help really get this thing out there. Mm. And I did that for, for a few years. And in the process, I loved what I was doing, but God just birthed this, this passion in me or revealed this passion within me that I wanted to help people to understand the Bible. And it almost kind of felt like a little bit of a 180 swing from what we were doing to all of a sudden dropping everything and then moving to West Michigan and going to seminary. And, you know, but, um, you know, my, my parents figured out pretty early on that there was a passion there. There was a, a gifting that was there and were very, very encouraging, even though it was so hard because, you know, my brother joined the business as well. It was like the three boys are going to take over, you know, fitness for the world. And, and we were working on some really amazing projects. I mean, the last project that I was working on when God literally like unilaterally moved us to seminary is we were working with our special forces and we were, I mean, so you're doing very high level exciting things. And God goes, you're going to seminary. And so I I spent three years in seminary. um, And during that time had the amazing opportunity to go to Israel and Turkey and Egypt um, on, on some trips. And then when I got done with seminary, I just had a passion to want to better understand all these things that are in the Bible, sitting behind the text that the writers of the Bible didn't include because their audience already knew it. You know, there's no reason to include something that everybody knows. And I didn't get 
as much of the education that I wanted from uh, a seminary in, in, in the U.S. And so my wife, Shallon, and I, we had our oldest at the time, Dinian. He was 10 months old. We moved to Jerusalem and studied there for a year and got all of that background information that I was craving, the archaeology, the history, the geography, uh, rabbinical stuff, all these things that are factoring into the biblical story came back, served as a teaching pastor for, you know, uh, another number of years. And then four years ago, God moved us to the Nashville area. And I went from, you know, being a teaching pastor for, you know, more than a decade to launching this organization that just specifically creates compelling resources and study trips to the Bible lands to help people understand the context of the Bible, the history, geography, cultural backgrounds, and more, so that when they read the Bible, it makes so much more sense. And when the Bible makes more sense, you are able to ask better questions about, so then how shall we live as a result of what we are reading and understanding and learning, so that we become more faithful followers of Jesus in the world today. Day. And that's in any sphere that anyone is part of. And so that's that's what Walking the Text is up to. We're an entirely crowdfunded organization that provides all of our resources completely free. I wish we could make the trips free to the Middle East, but we can't. But outside <laughs> of that, everything else we create is free. And we're creating the, the best, highest quality resources in order for people to understand the Bible better. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that's so cool, and I love that you, you know, along that journey, you talked about how creating this, you know, walking the text was not just a I'm going to create it. It's a part of your story of how God brought you to this moment where He revealed in you this passion and desire to, you know, bring context to the Bible and teach people about that. And so you talk a lot about contextualizing the Bible. What what is your process in really doing that? Yeah. So when I talk about context, it's really interesting because people, when they experience context, they get it when they go, Oh, like, you know, geography is, is not everything in the text, but almost, I mean, my contention is, is that 90% of the stories we have in the Bible are predicated on where they happened. Mm. So just knowing the geography greatly enhances your understanding of a particular story and why it even took place and what's being what's being included in the telling of that story and and so you know when people start to go oh i understand that that's part of context that's really great when you, when i talk to like pastors and people who you know have either gone to bible school or seminary or they're leading a ministry in some way when they hear context, they go, oh, well, what's the Greek or Hebrew word used and where does this show up in the particular book of the Bible? And that's just a very, very small sliver because there's all these other facets to the scriptures as well. And so what we did was uh, four years ago um, when we, we moved here, and actually we started walking the text officially three years ago, right before we launched it, I wrote a very short ebook called The Number One Mistake Most Everyone Makes Reading the Bible. Mm. And it's completely free. It's at Walking the Text. And what I do, it's just 30 pages long, is walk through what that process is, Bjorn, that you just asked, on how do you read the Bible in context. And so the first part of the free ebook is 
here's a case for context. Here's what we mean by context. Here's why it matters. Because inevitably, because I've been doing this for so long, I'll have people come and say, oh, are you telling us that we can't read the Bible if we don't understand it in context? And I go, no, I can't. I'm not telling you can't. I'm telling you it's going to make so much more sense when you understand the world of who wrote it in the first place and what the circumstances were. And so it deepens your understanding of the text. And in some cases, it does change it because we've had a lot of traditions that are actually not the text. Mm. You know, one of the best illustrations that I've heard around this idea is, and I got this as well. I I grew up in a Christian setting. I, I went to a Christian church. I went to a Christian school. And this isn't the case all across the board, but many times people will tell you this is what's in the Bible. And the, the, the metaphor is it's like somebody handing you uh, the top of a puzzle, the puzzle box, where it has the picture of this is what the puzzle looks like. Mm. But then you actually start assembling the pieces of the puzzle. And when you put the puzzle together and you look at the box, you go, okay, there's a lot of similarities, but this is not an exact replica. That's what the box is supposed to do. And that's what happens when tradition trumps text and people don't know the text, so they don't know the difference between what has just become a tradition and what's actually in the Bible. And so in order to help people do that and to understand how do you, you know, rightly handle the Word of God— context is king, Uh, context is queen, context is the ace. I mean, context is it because it was written for a reason. The the Bible was not just dropped out of heaven. It was written to real people in real places in a real time with real circumstances. Mm. And the better that we can understand that, the better we can understand why the Holy Spirit carried the writers along to record this. Mm-hmm. And what that can look like for us today. So the ebook basically walks you through here are the six lenses of context. Here's what we mean. Here are some examples from the Bible around how this context, you know, lenses at play. And then the cool thing, this is what I think is so valuable about the resource, is I include the best resources that I I have found over the last 15 years mm-hmm. for how to go further with context that other people people have done as well that are just remarkable and fantastic. So it's a really great resource for anyone who wants to better understand the Bible, but then also to be able to go, if I want to go deeper, what do I do? Here it is. That's so good. And I've, I've checked that out. And just even your teaching series, I've learned so, so much of just your teaching and just contextualizing the Bible. It's so important. And it's like, wow, there's so much that I like, Bjorn and I are just two young guys. I mean, we, we know a little, we've grown up in, in the church world our whole life, but there's so much of the Bible that I still don't know. And it's, it's fascinating. So I, one of your gifts is communicating and you're part of our leadership series right now. So for you, how have you developed into becoming a good communicator? Yeah, I, I think that Communication is one of the most important, if not the most important skill that any leader needs to have in the world today. Mm -hmm. And not only just a 
leader because some people don't see themselves as a leader and i would i would challenge that i think if you have any kind of influence you're a leader within your family you're a leader leader within you know your friends you, you might you know have been a really high leadership position yes at your place of work or or whatnot but we all have influence we all have an ability mm-hmm. to impact how someone else lives their life and does what they do and that's just a, a great responsibility that we all have you know as human beings that are in community with other people is that what we do impacts others. That's influence, you know, and so that's 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 a form of leadership. But I think as far as anyone who recognizes that they're trying to do something significant, get people to move from A to B, change people's perspective on things, help people to understand things they don't understand, that the most significant thing that they've got to have is an ability to communicate well. Mm-hmm. And we've all had this experience. There are some really, really smart people out there who have brilliant ideas and they can't communicate them worth a lick. (laughs) And you can have the best ideas in the world. And if you don't know how to communicate them in many ways, those, those dreams die, those ideas die, or they just don't get the traction that they deserve. Mm. And so this was something that I learned very early on and not just because I wanted to teach the Bible but because the people that had impacted me the most in my life were people who knew how to communicate what was important to them and what they believed could shape my life. And that had a profound impact on who I became or who I was becoming. And so, you know, being able to to communicate clearly, uh, effectively, compellingly is huge, especially in a world today where People have access to great communicators all the time. All you got to do is jump on YouTube or social media and there's really great communicators and that's how people know about them is because whatever they're up to, you know, they're communicating it probably pretty effectively or at least entertainingly enough for, you know, an audience to be to be there. And um, you know, but but for for many people it's it's just this recognition that we are bombarded with messages every single day. I mean, we're getting between 3 to 5,000 marketing messages a day. And we've gotten so good tuning out only those things that help us, you know, uh, that somehow help us in some way. You know, I do some some work with a brilliant messaging company called StoryBrand, mm. and we always talk about that. You know, if if you're not helping someone survive or thrive in what you're saying, they're going to tune you out. You know, if it's if it's about hey, this is going to help me, you know, survive in life, then I want to hear that information. Um, if you are going to help me thrive, if you're going to help me, you know, become, you know, more effective in this, or you're going to help me with relationships, or you're going to help me, you know, to achieve something I'm after, like I'm listening. And outside of that, every other message just falls on deaf ears. And so, the thing for me was if I believe that I've got something effective and helpful to communicate, but I don't know how to communicate it well, I'm, I'm handicapping my message. I'm handicapping the message that God wants me to communicate. Wow. And so I just sought out some of the best communicators that I knew or thought that I could somehow get to and began learning from them. And then in addition to that, I started to figure out who were the best communication coaches in the world. 
And were they doing podcasts? Were they doing a video series? Were they doing an online course? Now, some of this was not, this was before online courses. It was all books and it still is. Like I still, I'm, I'm every great communication book that comes out, I read. And really for about 10 years straight, I went to bed every night reading books on either the context related to the Bible or how to communicate more effectively. And I've had the privilege now for the last nine years to be training and helping professionals become more effective communicators, primarily in like the keynote space, so that when they get up and speak, they know exactly what they want to say, how they want to say it, how they're going to compel their audience and take their ideas and actually plant them so that they can sprout into something spectacular. Mm. Wow. Wow, that that's so good. And so, Brett, I have a couple follow up questions for you. And a couple of these, you know, we didn't talk about ahead of time, so I may be throwing something new at you here. So we'll see how you respond. Yeah, I love I love the the random questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first one is in learning about communication and developing communication. You talked about you know reading and studying. You've talked about you know talking with communication coaches, hearing from other communicators. How much of learning and developing communication do you think is by, you know, studying others' yeah. leaders? And how much is really like practicing and actually communicating and, you know, I guess getting that practical experience? Exactly. Exactly. There is no substitute for the actual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the more that you can communicate, the more opportunities that you take advantage of, the better you become. And, you know, and I'll talk a little bit about more of that in a moment, but your question just spurred something else that I just want to, I want to kind of nip in the bud right away is for many people, they go, well, great communicators are great communicators because they're natural. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of what they have. And I believed that for a long time. And it was only when I started to talk with the best communicators and and by the grace of God, some of the mentors that I've had are world renowned communicators. People know them around the world because of their communication ability. Mm. And when I would sit with them and talk to them and ask them what their process was, the biggest revelation I found is that nobody gets up on stage and moves an audience accidentally or even just naturally. Mm. They all have a system. And I was always under the impression that great communicators could just stand up and do what they do. What I didn't realize is that there is a whole art and science to effective communication Mm. that the best communicators in the world have already mastered. And what they have done is that they have practiced over and over and over again so that when they stand up and communicate, it feels effortless, Mm. not because they're just naturally effortless. It's that they know exactly where they're going. They know how they're getting there. They know it's going to work and they have practiced it so much that they just know how to live into the content as if it's just coming off them naturally. Mm. You know, one of the things about Steve Jobs and whether people love him or hate him because of, you know, what came out after he died and how he ran Apple and all that. And here's the thing about Steve Jobs. Um, good luck finding a more effective communicator. 
Mm. And, and when you'd look at the Macworld presentations where Apple would take 90 minutes and just absolutely mesmerize everybody and Steve Jobs would just effortlessly walk through this thing, he actually did that 90-minute talk 15 times on stage before that per- presentation that he gave. Wow. I mean, just add those hours up, you <laughs> yeah. know, and you go, well, there's 22-plus hours of actually doing it remote in hand timer there in the environment he he lived into that moment because he'd already lived that moment the only thing that was different is that there was a larger crowd and yeah it was a little bit more on the line but that's that's the thing that i learned is that great communicators are made they're not born now granted some people have uh, a, a greater comfortable, you know, level of standing in front of a crowd than others. You know, some people go, that's the last thing on earth I want to do. And I've worked with a lot of those. And, and once they realize, oh, there's a system to communication, like you can teach me a system. And once they learn the system, now they feel confident enough to start trying. Whereas before they would have never stood on stage to save their life. And I'm telling them, you cannot advance your business if you can't maximize a speaking opportunity that you've gotten to be able to communicate why you're doing what you're doing and how it's going to help tons of people and why people need to either, you know, join your company or buy your product or, you know, whatever that case may be. Mm-hmm. And they get over that because they recognize I've got to learn how to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, so just knowing that great communicators are made, they're not born, you know, just gives people the ability to go, all right, I need to learn how to do this. And, you know, what are the best places, you know, for me to begin to learn? And my whole thing is, is that, you know, as you're learning the process, you know, take those things that you're learning and and find an opportunity to talk. And I even tell people like, you go, well, nobody's going to pay me to come and speak for them. That's great. So have a night at your house, come up with something that you really think is important in the world, work for a couple months on putting together a TED Talk-like presentation, 18 minutes or so, and invite, you know, a few couples over to your house, give them dinner and just say, hey, I want to do something for you, stick them in your living room, people who love you, who care for you, and just say, I want to grow my speaking and I just want to share something with you and then just get feedback. I mean, oftentimes people... They, they limit themselves because they don't have the ability to think beyond the normal boundaries. And anybody can learn how to become a more effective communicator. And, you know, and there's, there's, there's places to be able to learn and figure that out. Mm. And, and, you know, kind of like Bjorn just saying, you know, is it what you learn or is it what you do? It's both. I mean, I, I, every single time I learn something new or I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not really implementing this well into my communication. The very next time I speak, I'm including that strategy. Cause I want to go, how does this work? Yeah. How do I get better? Take what you've learned, put it to practice, then learn what you just did and, and, and learn from that and then put it back into practice the next time. And then it's just a process of learning where, you know, you just start to do things more naturally because you've done it enough that it just becomes riding a bike, you know? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. I, I love that's that. So, so my, my second question, second follow-up question here, and that was, man, that, that's, that's phenomenal. And piggybacking off of that is okay. For our listeners, for Noah and myself, for those that want to become better communicators, this learning component that you talked about, these books that you've read, these you yeah. know professional communicators that are awesome, could you give us maybe a couple books that you've read that were phenomenal resources, and maybe you know a couple of 
your idols when it comes to communicators. Now, idols, that's not a great word to yes. use here, but <laughs> yeah. some leaders that communicate well that you look up to. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so let's, uh, as far as, I'll give two great resources. You know, if you're just going to start in, in, in with two books, the first book is Talk Like Ted, mm-hmm. and it's by Carmine Gallo, G-A-L-L-O. And what makes this book so fantastic is if somebody hears that they go, ah, but I'm not going to do a Ted talk. Yep. Don't, you know, understand what he did with the book. Don't worry about the title. Uh, it's actually a phenomenal title because the whole premise behind the book is Carmine and his team, uh, analyzed the top 500 most viewed Ted talks and tried to figure out are there commonalities between these TED Talks that have just taken off? And they said, we actually found nine common denominators mm. for what these great communicators, the best communicators in the world are doing. And so these nine strategies, they wrote a chapter on each of the strategies. And what they did was, what Carmine did is he split the chapter into two parts, every chapter into two parts. The first part is, what's the art? meaning how do you do it well? Mm. And then the second half of the chapter is, what's the science behind this? Why does it work? And that's the thing that's been so so riveting is how, you know, is what, what we know now from neuroscience, what's been published in the last 10 to 15 years that validates instincts people have had, but never really had the hard data to prove it. And it's it's mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing to go, here's how you do it. Here's why it works. And here are some TED Talks that you can watch on how they're utilizing this strategy extremely well. Mm-hmm. And so Talk Like Ted, brilliant book, fantastic research. And if you like Carmine, he's written several other books as well, but that's the one that I would start with as it relates to Carmine. The other book is called Resonate. And it's by Nancy Duarte, D-U-A-R-T-E. Nancy is one of the most well-respected female CEOs in the United States. They're out of Silicon Valley. And Duarte is considered to be one of the best, if not the best presentation company that's, you know, that you can that you can work with. And Nancy just did a brilliant job of talking about the entire communication process and doing it in just a visually pleasing way. It's a book, but it's like a beautifully designed book with phenomenal illustrations and pictures everywhere. They're a creative firm. And so they took the content, they presented it in a creative way, and the content itself is not just organized and displayed, you know, beautifully, the content is stellar. Mm. And so those are two resources that I would highly recommend because again, Nancy has written other books as well, and you can find those. And actually I'll throw one bonus book in there, anything by Dan and Chip Heath. Mm. Uh, So a pair of brothers, but they wrote a book called Made to Stick And then they also wrote a book called Switch. Now, they've written a couple of other books as well. But as far as effective communication is concerned, you know, both of those books are outstanding. So Carmine, Nancy, Dan, and Chip, 
you know, those are a few and I've got another 20 books, but I don't want to overwhelm our audience. Just start with, just start with those and uh, <laughs> pick one, pick one and go from there. Check, check them out online and see which one you think better fits what you're looking for. Choose one. But, uh, but those are, those are some of the best resources that have been done. And, you know, and then for me, it's really, you know, I've had a, a number of people that, that I, I thoroughly enjoy watching. Um, and a lot of them are in the talk like Ted, you know, there's lots of, lots of people that as soon as they're, you know, presenting anything, like I'm jumping online and I'm watching them and it's different CEOs, it's different pastors. Uh, in some cases it's controversial leaders, uh, because they're controversial and people don't like what they're doing. And I don't even agree with a lot of what they're saying, but how they're doing it, I'm learning from that, you know, so uh, I won't polarize our audience here, but, uh, <laughs> but I definitely have my handful of people that are watching, but what, what, here's the cool thing is, is, is what's included in those books are examples for people to be able to go watch and the links are there so that they can go see them right away. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. I, I know when we talked previously, yeah. I'm when you were talking about that book, I was like, I have to get that book. So that is a book I'm going to read within the next few weeks. So I'll let you know how that goes. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. So one of your one of our guests that we had, which was last episode was Dan Webster, and which, you know, Dan pretty well. And he talks about being an authentic leader. What does being an authentic leader mean to you? Yeah, I think it's, I think it, anytime you're talking about being authentic, I think that there are a lot of, of things that that, you know, brings up, up in me. Um, I think a couple of things in particular are really, really important is one of the things, one of the models that I hold to as a leader that I believe makes me authentic is that I never want to invite someone into something that I'm not willing to do myself first. Mm -hmm. And this is true anytime that I'm communicating an idea. Like, I don't come up with an idea and then put communication piece to present it right away. I want to go, is this thing actually true? Does it work? How does it work? What are the pitfalls to it? Mm. Um, if I'm not willing to live into this thing for weeks or months, what I have to try to get somebody else to do it just because I've got a really, you know, helpful way. I think I can communicate this idea, a really well idea communicated. Well, doesn't mean the idea is true. Mm. You know, you might think it is, but, but to what extent? Mm. And I think that one of the things that has been helpful to my audience is I can give illustrations of other people of myself actually doing this. And, and they just know, inherently based on what I'm communicating, how I'm communicating and the history of how I've communicated to them, they know I'm not going to ask them to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Mm. And I think that that's a really important thing in being authentic is if you want people to follow, why do you want them to follow? Is it really about you or are you taking them to something more important and for me, it's, I want people to become more faithful followers of Jesus in the world, you know, with all the faith-based stuff that I'm doing. And so I've got to look at this and go, this is not just about putting together something to get people to follow me or what I'm up to. It's how does this help them get closer to walking after Jesus? And is this the best way to do that? And I've got to live into that in order to understand what I'm pitching 
so that when I stand up and communicate something, I feel 100% confident that if they actually do what I'm asking them to do, it's going to help them get closer to Jesus in the process. Wow. And, and that's one of the big things that I would say. I think the other thing for me that authentic communicates is being very open and honest about reality. Mm. And I know that, you know, one of the things as a leader, you want to keep things positive. Nobody wants to be a Debbie Downer. Nobody wants to, you know, sit you out of the room. But if I can clearly communicate when things aren't going as well or what the circumstances are, things that I don't know, and not, not, not sugarcoat it, not make it what it's not, then what that does is it gives me the credibility from my audience that when I do say something that is positive or something that is going well, they look at me and go, it must really be going well because he's authentic when things aren't going well. And so therefore, you know, we, we have, we've given him our trust currency to believe what he is saying. You know, if everything is, you know, happy rainbows and, you know, everything is bright and shiny and it's all the time. No, everybody knows that's not life, you know? So, you know, but being able to go, Hey, this is, you know, whether it's to your team or whatever to go, here's, what's not going well. And here's why, and now here's what we need to do about it. I mean, you don't, you know, I think one of the things that's totally unhelpful in any leadership is that whenever you highlight a problem, don't highlight a problem. If you don't have an idea on how to resolve it, you know, it's fascinating how many people will come to you with their problems, but they don't have any suggestions on how to, make them better. And as a leader of leaders and, you know, people I lead, like if you come with me with a problem, great. I'm glad that you brought the problem, but what do you think the solution should be? You know, I'm, I'm, my responsibility isn't to figure out every single problem. It's, but, you know, for me to be able to communicate when things are going well and, and to be able to communicate truthfully when things aren't going well, uh, I just think that that's a huge part of just being authentic because there's an integrity to what you say and people will follow integrity um, to the nth degree. Mm. Wow, that that's so good. And and w- when you're talking about this, it sort of reminds me of some of today's culture with kids. And I'm thinking specifically of middle schoolers, um, yeah. some around an area that I work with. And middle schoolers are they're mean, flat out. And when some middle schooler presents an idea or a thought or an opinion, there's always multiple middle schoolers that bash that idea, that bash that opinion, that bring it down. And and I what I started doing, and I think this sort of ties in a little bit of what you're saying here is I, I told them, I said, you're allowed to tell somebody's tell someone why their idea may not be the best, only if you can present another opportunity, another option, another idea. Yeah. And what I saw that that did is it it makes it so that one, there's not as much, that's a terrible idea. You're wrong. There can still be some of that, but it's healthy. And it's, I don't think that idea is the greatest, but here's how I think I can make it better. And I think what that does is that creates this healthy, more a healthier atmosphere where, yeah, let's brainstorm together where everyone knows when you're brainstorming with, you're coming up with ideas. The first idea is 
probably not the one you're going to go with. Absolutely. And, and if it is, nine times out would, of 10, maybe 95 times out of a hundred, that's totally true. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> if it is the, if the first one is the idea, then I'm like, okay, well, you know, group think, did that occur? Like, mm, is right. that present? Um, but I just, I just sort of thought there was some, a little bit of some parallels there. Um, and I think that, you know, that's true for not just middle schoolers, but us as well. I know there's times with this podcast that, no, well, he sh- he'll shoot out an idea and I'll be like, ah, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> and then it'll be like later that day. I'm like, why did I shoot that idea down? And do I have a better idea? Right. And you know, we'll talk later and I'll be like, yo dude, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> and it all works out and though. we're, we're learning, but I, I think that's so good. So Brad, for you, I kind of want to come back to something you talked about at the beginning to sort of finish out here. You talked about some trips that you go to Israel and other parts of the world. And that's when you, you know, you bring people there and you learn in the actual location. Yeah. Can you share with us, what is your favorite location to bring people to in Israel or other parts of the world to, to, to teach, to learn, to soak in everything? What's your favorite place to go? In Israel, my favorite place to go is the desert, which is not a normal answer for people. Mm. And very few trips actually spend any significant amount of time in the desert. There's, there's no buildings. There's no ruins to see. And, you know, when I lead trips to the Middle East, each of the trips I lead are not bus tours in that for many trips, and there's nothing wrong with this. I want people to hear that clearly. But for the vast majority of people who go to the land, they go on a trip and a bus will go from site to site because it's all close to each other and they're in a particular area and they get off the bus, they go there, they learn some stuff and then they're back on the bus and they go to the next thing. The way that I design my trips is that they're uh, a unified story from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Every single site is another chapter in an unfolding story and the entire trip is connected from the moment we land to the moment we leave. Wow. And for me, because it's a story, I have to get them into the desert early in the story. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to appreciate the rest of the story. Mm. The story of the Bible was birthed in the desert. You know, you, you have the slavery story of being in Exodus, and God rescues them and redeems them from Exodus but it's 40 years in the desert. And the paradigm in the desert is the paradigm that Jesus's life follows, that Jesus's life is on the canvas of Israel's story. And the more you can understand the story of Israel, the more you're going to understand Jesus who came as a Jew within Israel's heritage in order to take the story forward. He, he was continuing a story. He wasn't creating something brand new. Wow. And so the story is birthed in the desert. And the thing about the desert is it's not just to only better understand where the story is going that we're doing like in Israel, but the desert has been used as a metaphor for our lives when things just don't go the way that we want them to. Mm. And we've all had those experiences and we're still in the midst of this COVID experience, which is a wilderness experience for a vast number of people. And the thing I love about the desert is that when you get people out into the hot, dry, dusty landscapes of the deserts of Israel, is that it immediately connects for, connects for them 
to the harsh realities of life and when you experience these desert moments. Mm. And I love that time because I think it's one of the most shaping times during the trip because what they learn in those moments helps them navigate the desert experiences they walk back into in their lives and when they come back to America. Mm. And, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, Noah, you mentioned the teaching series, which for um, our listeners here, every other Tuesday at Walking the Text, we release, again, a free teaching. It's a video teaching. It's also available as a podcast, and it's just 20 minutes or less. So it carries that TED Talk length teaching or less on some facet of the scriptures or some story that we're talking about. And um, we actually just released our 118th episode. So for our first two years, we released them every single Tuesday, but we, we changed the frequency because people, people couldn't keep, keep up with all the content, which is actually a good problem to have. That's but we did early in COVID, we did a series called Grapes in the Desert. And we just talked about that. And so some of those life lessons that I teach people in Israel, we did in this teaching series that people can access at walkingthetext.com or on our YouTube channel. And those are the kinds of things where, you know, every single place I go in Israel, it has that same transformational, you know, experience. And the way that I've designed every single day is if it's not the best day it could possibly be, I change it. You know, I want every single day to go, people to go, I would have come just for this day. Mm-hmm. I would have paid all this money, traveled all this way just for this day. And then you stack up, you know, 13 days on top of each other and people come back and go, I could have never imagined that God could transform my life in such a short period of time. And that's why I love these trips. For me, it's, I can do more with people in two weeks than I can do with you in two years from a Sunday pulpit perspective or something like that. Just because you get them every single day, every story is building upon the other and, you know, and you get to do that. So, so being in the Galilee around the sea of Galilee where Jesus did 90% of his ministry, I mean, I love that place because that's where Jesus spent the majority of his time. Mm. But if you had to really pin me down and go, you know, what would be an answer that you'd give? And maybe others wouldn't give that answer. It's the desert. And then I've got favorite places, you know, in Turkey. I, I take people to Turkey. I've been doing that for more than a decade as well. And, and um, you know, I've done some trips to some other places, but typically it's Israel and Turkey is what, what we're currently offering. Mm. Wow, that's so good. And And I know there's, some Buffalo Bills have gone with you, like uh, from our podcast as Reed Ferguson and Len, they absolutely love and appreciate you. And they, I know they love that trip that you took them on. So you're, you're legit. You're the real deal. If I I'm telling you right now, as the listener, go check out walking the text and see all these teaching series. You'll learn a ton. Mm-hmm. So where, where can people find that your work, your books, resources, where can they find that at all? Yeah. So we've got it in, uh, walking the text.com is, is clearly the major hub. And we do have for YouTube subscribers and, and whatnot, we've got a YouTube channel, where all the video teachings are. But as far as to learn about the trips, um, to access, we also have a sermon library that's got more than, I think, about 115, you know, 45 to 50 minute length teachings. If they're looking for something, you know, beyond that, everything is searchable. So you can, you know, do a search for a subject or a passage and anything that we've done will, will show up in, in the search. But, um, but walkingthetext.com is where people can go 
And if people are on social media, we're pretty much just hanging out on Facebook and Instagram. And our handle is at walking the text. Very cool. Yeah. Mm. I love that. That's awesome. And I know Noah was the one that actually introduced walking the text to me. It was, oh, I don't know, months ago at this point. And I remember yeah. I checked it out and it, it really is a phenomenal resource. And it's something that I, I haven't found anything similar to that that I've enjoyed as much as I do enjoy that one. So I would just, you know, encourage our listeners, just check it out and, and, you know, have an opinion for yourself. I've got mine, Brad has his, Noah has his, <laughs> but check it out and, and see what you think of this resource. So Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. And just one last question is just, is there anything else that God has put on your heart or anything else that you just want to share with our listeners? Any final remarks, thoughts, or anything for them? Yeah, I would just say this. Um, we're in a very, very challenging season, and we all know it. And for most of us, we would want and hope that um, this is going to be something that that passes, you know, sooner than later. And you know, we just don't know exactly where that is in the midst of it. Um, but one of the things that I have just been in, encouraged by. And in the midst, especially, you know, we're recording this going into the, the Christmas season is that this is why Jesus eventually came, you know, to earth was uh, times are tough. Things are challenging, you know, typically, you know, going into Christmas, Christmas after Christmas, you know, people are still kind of typically on a, on a normal basis, celebrating all the joy of the season and, and everything like that. And this year is, is, is a different kind of a year. And for many people, I know that um, there's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of unknowns. And so most people feel very easy, uneasy right now. And I totally get that. I would just would want to encourage everyone to recognize that this Christmas season is more than ever resembles the reality of why we needed Jesus in the first place, that there's just so much that isn't right in the world. There's so many things that we don't have control over. There's so many things that make us anxious and nervous and, and it's just challenging. And my encouragement would be that, you know, Jesus Christ is still on the throne, that we long for the day for him to come again. You know, we celebrate in the season of Advent that 2000 years ago, Jesus stepped into our world because our world was messed up mm -hmm. and through what he did with his life, his ministry, obviously his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he, took care of once and for all sin and death. And we just don't see the full remnants of the impact yet, but it's coming. It's coming in an advent that we still long for, for Jesus to be able to come back. But even in the midst of this season, Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. Amen. And even though we're in a very challenging season and circumstances are hard, God is fully aware. God is at work. God knows what he's doing lean deeper and deeper into him and just allow the joy that only he can give to wash over you during this Christmas season. Mm. Wow. That, that's so good, Brad. And I just, man, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real honor and privilege and it's been a fun conversation. So I, I hope that our listeners enjoyed and I hope they learned something as Noah always says, I hope they were taking notes, writing something <laughs> down that they can take away from this. But if yeah. nothing else, I just want our listeners to remember that that God is with us. And no matter what season you're in, no matter where you're at in your life, that God is with us. So thank you so much for joining us today, Brad. 
Yeah, it's great being on, fellas. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much, Brad, for joining us. That was such a such a pleasure, a privilege to to, to talk with you. Noah, what were some of your reflections on that interview? Mm. So good. I Brad, there's so much that I've learned from Brad. Um, just between the source of walking the text and just how he teaches and communication. He gave us so much today. And it's so good. And I've really enjoyed this leadership series, just talking to the leaders that we've had on. Mm. And in terms of leadership, I absolutely loved of what does it mean for him to be an authentic leader? And I think for him, it gave, there was a few things. It was, he said, I will not bring someone into something that I won't do first. Mm. That's so important. Yeah. If you're not willing to do the work, if you're not willing to do it yourself, then why are you asking others to do it? Mm. But I think my favorite thing that he talked about, and it wasn't related to sports or, or anything like that. It was one, he was talking about the favorite places that he's been and where he brings people. And I was expecting like, oh, it's going to be the Dead Sea. It's going to be, you know, where Jesus was, was buried. It's the desert. Mm. And that just so it's so it illustrates just the year that 2020 was and what it's been and this whole COVID experience you you're made in the desert and I think it's so good I think there's it's so much illustrations and for me it was like man there's so much that we learn in the desert seasons of our lives that's when you learn the most man that's so good Bjorn what did you take away from today yeah man that was that that was really good it really got my mind it really got my mind going and thinking on a lot of different things but but one of things that I loved was him talking about preparation, Mm. talking about preparation in order to communicate preparation in order to lead. And what I loved was him talking about, okay, you know, Steve Jobs like gives a 90 minute little presentation while he practices 15 times before 15. And (laughs) and that's just, that's wild to me, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, preparation is key when it comes to being able to communicate, when it comes to being able to lead effectively. Mm. And the thing I loved, and, and, and I don't know if we, I don't think we talked about this necessarily on the podcast, but I, his, the trip to Israel that he takes, these trips overseas, you know, okay, 13 days, and he talks about maximizing the amount of time within each of those days so that each day could be somebody's favorite day. Mm. Each day they have ample opportunity to hear from God, to connect, to learn, to experience. And he talked about how it's sort of walking them through this story. Mm. And I loved it because, you know, Brad's a communicator. We know that. And he's taking this 13-day trip, and he's using that as a communication platform. He's taking, okay, we've got 13 days. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a sermon series. All right, I've got 13 points in my sermon series. Mm-hmm. How can I bring them from point A to, the, to point Z? Mm-hmm. And it's how can I cultivate this trip, this experience, so that they can hear from God and they can experience all the things that God has for them in those 13 days. And that's, you know, that's a communicator's dream is how can I communicate in a way and present things in a way that I can bring people along with me and that by the end, they know what I wanted them to know or I provided a platform for them to hear from God what God wants them to know. Mm. Because there's times where I listen to a sermon and I'm, you know, I'm talking with my fiance about what I learned from it and stuff and like <laughs> what I learned, it's like, man, she's like, Bjorn, like, like he didn't even talk about that. I'm like, yeah, I know, but he said this one thing and that got my mind going. And then I started thinking about this thing. It's like God speaks in crazy ways. And so those 13 days, how can I set that up to be a platform 
for people to learn and to hear. And I, I love that. I thought so that was good. that was so incredible. And the power of how he said, you know, two weeks, you could do more than in two years mm. if it's focused and intentional. And that's so powerful. And so I just, you know, encourage our, our listeners, like, you know, prepare, take time, mm. take time to, to really think about why why every step why you're taking those steps well and that's even our previous guest that we've had that we talked about short-term mission trip mm. like jeff crone sure he's there's power in those trips of those missions this one is much more study oriented and contextualizing yeah. of the bible but there's something about drawing you out of your comfort zone that mm. you realize there's so much more yeah and oh it's so good yeah and it's 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 drawing you out of your comfort zone and into a space mm. where you say i want to learn like right. that, that's what Learning is basically coming from this place of humility of saying, I don't know, and I want to know. And that place of I don't know, that's an uncomfortable place, I I think, for humans. I know it's for me, and I think it is for most people. It's when you don't know, when you're confused, like, that's uncomfortable. Hmm. When you're in a place where you're confident and you know, like for me, I played college soccer. When I'm on the soccer field, like, I'm comfortable. I'm confident. I've been there. I know. When I'm on the basketball court, basketball is not my first sport. Like, I'm a little uncomfortable because I don't know everything. But it's me saying, okay, I don't understand basketball. I'm going to step on that court and I'm willing to learn. So I think that that's really what's key with being uncomfortable. I heard a story. Um, it was, you're, you're going to laugh at me. You might puke a little bit. In your I mind. laugh at you all the time because you're a Broncos fan. So. <laughs> but it was Tom, I was listening to a leadership podcast and Tom Brady was on it. Mm. And he was talking about when he was with Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods for the match and Phil Mickelson and he said that he just felt like a fish out of the water because he was on the driving range and Tiger looks at Tom Brady and mind you Tom Brady is one of the greatest athletes and quarterbacks of all time sure Tiger Woods looks at at uh, at Tom Brady. And goes, you want to see how I get this on the hole? He does one shot, it like curves on. One <laughs> shot skips on, and then one just is a rainbow on, all within a foot of the hole. Wow! And I think there's so many times where it's like, all right, I'm comfortable with this. And that's like the perfect example of like, but wait, okay, this is completely different, and I can't even imagine doing that to somebody like Tom Brady. Oh but, man! <laughs> but yeah. yeah, shout out Tom Brady as much as. As much as we don't like him here in Buffalo, he has been and is a phenomenal quarterback. And, and dare I say, he was the greatest of all time. All time. Mm. I, there's there's not much arguing there. I agree. <laughs> but Brad, thank you so much for just coming on to, for today's podcast. This leadership series has been so good. And mm. I think two words that will come to mind of this is context and communication. Mm. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And next week, everybody, you do not want to miss out on next week's episode with Bob Schindler. If you're not familiar with Bob, he used to be a professional golfer, which is pretty cool, but he directs seed sports. And what better way to cap off this leadership series than with Bob Schindler? Here's an excerpt. So everybody walks around when they're playing golf feeling like a failure and exposed. I don't care whether you're Tiger Woods. When he made, when he made the 12 in the most recent Masters, on, or no, I'm a 10, I'm sorry, on number 12, he talked about how alone and exposed he felt this is arguably and some uh, some people would say the greatest golfer at least one of the top two greatest golfers that ever lived but yet at that moment in time he felt extremely exposed and frustrated so that's one of the other aspects of golf that that really makes it frustrating and addictive thanks for listening to the sweat room sports and faith podcast we hope you enjoyed if you'd like to stay connected with us you can find us on facebook and instagram at watermark sports on twitter
Twitter at SweatRoomPod and our new blog at WatermarkWesleyan.com slash blog. Until next time, get it, got it, and give it. Thanks for listening to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. 